You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. If you've got your Bibles, we're looking at John 20 today. Whatever translation you brought, just enjoy it. And uh, what we'll have on the screen will be the Passion Translation. As we're looking at the resurrection in this Easter tide, this season between uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, all the way to Pentecost Sunday, we're looking at the different gospels and, and different parts of scripture that talk about the significance of the resurrection, which is so amazing. Here in, in Gospel of John, uh, we, we find that John records that Mary Magdalene is the one that goes to the tomb. She goes to the tomb and, and as she gets up early in the morning, she goes to the tomb, she sees the stone has been moved away and she freaks out. She basically doesn't even do anything but run to the disciples. Now this is a great while before day. You know, it's very early in the morning. I don't know what Peter and John's sleeping habits and the other disciples are, but here she comes and she interrupts and she says, they've taken him. They've taken his body. And so as they, as they come and as they have their, their race there, I always like to think that, you know, John must have been swift of foot because he's the one that got in there. You say, well, it doesn't say in my Bible that it was John. Uh, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, he refers to himself that way. And so John gets there first, but he doesn't go in. He takes a peek and then Peter just barges in. Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Peter just bolts right in there and they look and they see the linen uh, cloth that Jesus was wrapped in, and they're, they're significantly placed in such a way that he wasn't unwrapped. You know, have you ever done that? I remember as little kids, we used to love doing that, getting something and just winding it around us, and then somebody spin us around and, we, and then we'd fall. <laughs> Jesus wasn't spun. He didn't get out of, out of the cloths by spinning. He got out of the cloths through resurrection. Pretty amazing. Except for his head cloth. And there's all sorts of theories of, of the significance of the cloth that was upon Jesus's head and how he laid it. Some, some liken it to how you take your napkin after a wonderful, satisfying meal and you fold it in a certain way to let the, the person know that you really enjoyed the meal. Eh, that's a little far out for me, but if, if that floats your boat, that's fine. There, there's a good devotional thought there. But the reality is that Peter comes out and he's completely puzzled. He has no clue what this means. He, he can't figure it out. Mary is beside herself. She's grieving, she's weeping, she's sobbing, she's broken. She's trying to figure out what's going on. And John just peeks in and he sees what he sees, an empty tomb. And he believes. He believes. It's real easy to miss that. John's the first one that believes after the resurrection. He's the first one that based on the evidence of not even seeing Jesus, but looking in the tomb, he doesn't write a conspiracy theory that somebody came and took his body and, and they're, they're doing something with it. He just sees it and he believes. 
That's where we're going to pick up. Verse 11. Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes, sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying? They asked. Mary answered, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned to leave. She turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her. But she didn't recognize that it was him. He said to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener. Sir, if you have taken his body somewhere else, tell me and I will dot, 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 interruption, Jesus. Now mothers, there may be a time for interruption. As we teach our children, don't interrupt, don't interrupt. Well, Jesus interrupted. Mary, Jesus interrupted. Turning to face him, she said, Rabboni, Aramaic for my teacher. Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't hold on to me now, for I haven't yet ascended to God, my Father. And he's not only my Father and God, but now he's your Father and your God. Now go to my brothers and tell them what I've told you, that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Then Mary Magdalene left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. I have seen the Lord, she told them, and she gave them his message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful way that you have preserved the story in Holy Scripture. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to anoint our eyes that we might see, that we might truly see. Touch our hearts that we might be able to embrace and fully uh, come to comprehension of the magnitude of the resurrection. Come Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Let us have ears to hear what you're saying to the church, for we ask it in your name. Yes. Amen. Yes. So Mary's broken, she's sobbing. She's already been to the tomb once, she's back to the tomb. <laughs> Peter and John, they've already been in, they've laughed, Peter puzzled, John believing, and Mary just stays. There's something about the depth of feminine love that won't allow them to leave. There, there's something that has to be satisfied before they can leave the place of their loss. And right now, Mary is in full uh, a full awareness of, of the significance of the loss of the body of Jesus. She had an assignment, she had a purpose. It was to anoint the body after the crucifixion. And she was coming to fulfill her duty and it got interrupted <laughs> because there was no body. And in her sorrow, 
I don't know if we can really understand the depths of her sorrow unless you've experienced a loss of some magnitude. But she's there and she is so broken, she's so crying. We see in scripture all the time that whenever an angel shows up, it scares the willies out of people. And if they're in the dazzling lightning uniform of heaven, it's, the splendor is so great that they can't even hardly comprehend, even bear to look at it. But she's so broken, she's been so much in tears, she's been crying, sobbing, that it's through the tears that she looks into the tomb one more time, and there's two angels there. And she is so preoccupied in her grief, her sorrow, her brokenness, that she's not frightened. She sees, she didn't take note of what they're wearing. It's not typical for a female not to notice what you're wearing, but she wasn't. She was there and she was crying, sobbing, and they say, why are you crying? She says, they've taken him, they've taken his body, and I don't know where they, I don't know where he is. I don't know where they've taken him. And so she's engaging them with a question that Jesus is going to ask her in just a few seconds. They've already asked her one question. They do not respond when she says what she says. I don't know how long it takes. I don't know what you would do if you were in sorrow and you're looking into the tomb, you see two angels and you're, you're there and they ask you a question and you give an answer and then you're gonna leave. I wonder how long she stood there waiting for the angels to give a reply. Do you know anything about that? Can you help me? Do you know where they laid him? What's up? I don't know what's going on. Help, you know, I, I'm, I'm dying here. You know, emotionally I am broken. What's going on here? And they don't say a word. They're just there. So she's gonna leave. Now that's some heavy duty grief. I think if an angel was around and became manifest and I saw him, I wouldn't leave. I would pick and pick and pick everything I could inquire of him and understand why he's here, what he's up to, what's he, what's he been sent to do, all that goes on. But it's interesting that in John's account, he leaves a lot left unsaid because he's setting the stage. As she turns around, there Jesus is standing in front of her. Now it doesn't say that he had his cloaking device on, like he did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, that they didn't recognize him as they go on a seven mile walk. They never realized it was Jesus. But here Jesus is in front of her, but she can't recognize him because of the tears. She can't recognize him because of the grief, the sorrow, her preoccupation of the devastation that somebody would have the audacity to steal and take and rob this grave. She is beside herself. And he asks her the same question. Dear woman, why are you crying? Yeah. But he adds another question. Who are you looking for? She goes back to her explanation, you know, thinking that he's the gardener, 
do, do you know where they took him? Do you know where, where, he, where he's at? And then he just says, Mary. Can you hear him? Mary. He just calls her by name. And when she hears her name coming off of his lips, whatever the dynamic of being <laughs> veiled and cloaked and not being able to be identified, she knows it's Jesus. And she says, my teacher, my teacher. Wow, what a connection. Is that good? Have you heard him call your name? Mm. He loves each and every one of us and he knows us by name. I think one of the reasons why I love the prophetic so much is that it's a manifestation of God's awareness of who you are. And he gives a word, sometimes through another person, that is to you that you know came from him came from God. And here is, this is a, a wonderful word to hear your name, <laughs> Mary. Oh, I love it. So from finding his body, she finds him. She sees him. Here's a couple things he tells her. First, don't hold on to me. He did not say, don't touch me because in just a few minutes, we know that he's gonna invite people to touch him. Thomas especially, you know, put your finger right here in the holes. You know, don't doubt, believe. You know, so it's not about that. I, I came with this Holy Ghost inspired Ricky Francis uh, version of what has happened and you probably really wanna know what has happened. So I'm gonna tell you today. I see Jesus as he's resurrected He's ready to now to ascend to the Father. I'm not sure exactly what all's gonna happen. He's been in the grave three days, whatever's transpired there. But I, I think as he's on his way to heaven, he hears Mary's sobbing and brokenness. He hears the one that loves him so dearly and how much travail is going on in her life. And he's thinking, okay, the angels will help satisfy that. They, they will announce to her, you know, that I'm risen and go ahead. And, and... But nothing gets through. Wow, yeah. She doesn't connect with the angels. She doesn't. So I kind of picture Jesus kind of like halfway to the father. And he looks back and he, and he sees Mary. And he says, oops, got to go back. And he comes back to Mary because of the distress that she's in. Now, I don't know what all's gonna happen with the father, but I think something incredible is gonna happen with the father that does whatever, because I think he's, he's, he's got his coordinates, he's coming into the father's pre presence, and he has to come back to release this with Mary. Then he's back to the father, and then later that evening, he shows up with the disciples. That's my Holy Ghost imagination. Oh, yeah. 
of what's taking place here. You know, it, it's boom, boom. And I don't know why she couldn't hold, because I can't, can, can you imagine Jesus not giving Mary a hug? You know, if, if there was something about the resurrected body that Jesus has to have, you know, some kind of shellac that he's got to receive, some kind of resin, some, some kind of spray that's got to happen in heaven, then he's good to, to, to be back on it. I, I don't see it that way. Don't hold on to me doesn't mean don't touch me. I'm sure that there was an embrace, but I imagine he had an assignment he needed to be in heaven with. So he couldn't stay and, and contain and continue in, a, in an embrace. Don't hold on to me because I really need to get to the Father. I'm ascending to the Father. And what he tells her is that now, as he's ascending to the Father, as he's resurrected, now his Father and his God is now her Father and her God. There's something about all that Jesus did and taught and said and released and demonstrated for them, showing the Father, it was still difficult for them to come into an understanding that he was their personal Father. The Jesus brought to us the revelation that God is a Father. And we, I believe the disciples understood that Jesus had a unique relationship with God the Father and related it to him first and foremost as a father and as a son. But now with the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus is declaring that now he's your father. He's your God. And so Mary is undone and she's giving the assignment. This is my message to the disciples. Oh, he doesn't say to the disciples, does he? This is the first time that Jesus calls the disciples his brothers. The first time in the gospel. He, called, he said that they'll be his friends and that uh, he's the teacher and they're the students. Now they're brothers. And the assignment that he gives to Mary is to go to his brothers and tell them that he's ascending to his father and your father, to his God and to your God. The power of repetition is, is not coincidence. It, it's to bring emphasis. It's, it's to cause us to really catch something. And a lot of times I think because we've, we've been raised in the church, we just think of this and we don't even realize the significance. This is an inaugural moment of our identity. God is our Father. God is our God. Indeed. Mm. So she goes off and tells. She does it. She's obedient. Can you imagine the joy? I mean, this poor lady goes from the depth of despair and grief and sorrow to hearing her name, of being introduced that now God is her father and God is her God, and seeing the one that she loves alive. It 
Tigger is the only thing that comes to mind that could give any kind of expression to the joy that must be going on. As she's going back, I don't know if she's running or she's dancing, if she's leaping, if she's twirling, but she is so full of joy, so full of life. Can you imagine the next time that she sees Peter and John and the disciples and she gives this message? It's going to be what a contrast from what happened earlier in the morning when she thought the grave robbers had taken his body. And now she's seen him. Does that also remind you of Easter Sunday when I preached on the road to Emmaus? And what was the, the indictment that was going on as they're traveling? You know, they, they've, they've, the women went first and they came and told us that his body's not there. And what the angel said, and they run and they go check it out, and they, they've seen, but no one has seen him. That's what the two tell Jesus as they're walking on. And, and the women amazed us, and we, we went there and did it, but no one's seen him. We haven't seen him. We haven't seen him. Mary's going, Oh, 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 I've seen him. I've seen him. Guess what? I've seen him. Oh, and here's this message for you guys. Oh. OMG. That began the testimony day. That began the testimony day. And as that was going into the evening and as, as, as the two from Emmaus come back and they, they hear that Mary had seen him and that Peter had seen him and, and then as, as they share their story of being with him for seven miles, and now the, Jesus shows up right in their midst in the evening. You know, I couldn't just speak on those few verses. We've got to add another here. Verse 21. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. He's already come. He's already told him peace once, but you know, they're scared out of their wits. And so he says again, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. The consequences of the resurrection, the result of the resurrection, the purpose that comes to us, <laughs> we're being sent. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. Wow. God is your father and God is your God. Jesus' words to his brothers, first feet peace. You gotta have a foundation of peace. The very foundation of everything that we do in our relationship with Jesus is by the peace that he secured for us in the sacrificial death, the glorious resurrection and his wonderful ascension. And that brings peace to us as we're reconciled to God. Then he tells them, and now I'm sending you just as the Father has sent me. Just as the Father has sent me. Spend some time meditating on that this week. How did the Father send Jesus? How does he send us? There's a sense that Jesus was sent into the world as, a, as, a, as an infant, as a baby, filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, <laughs> developed and grew in stature and in favor with God and man, 
And there's like a sense of we are born again. We're in the new birth. We're not fully mature. We're developing. We're growing. We're growing in favor with God and with man through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we begin to develop and as we continue to grow, whoa, almost every believer that I know, when they respond to the good news of the gospel and they hear the call to repent and receive the wonderful work of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, there's something inside of us that says, what can I do? What can I do? Oh. I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. And I feel like there's something I want to do for him. What do I want to do? Oh, I got to share him with somebody. I got to share something about Jesus with someone. I got to share that these, the burden and the guilt and the shame and all the heaviness that was on my life has been lifted. This is wonderful news. The forgiveness of sins. Wow. And that's where it starts. I love that. But if you're a current believer and, and you find this and you, you come into this relationship, usually you get plugged in doing something at the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it's like, okay, he's forgiven me, I owe him something, so I better sign up for the nursery. I can't think of anything that would show him how much I'm thankful than doing nursery duty. And so I, I sign up or I'm going to teach Sunday school, so I'm going to go teach the kids. And, and so we do this. And you know, it's not too long into serving him out of a sense of gratitude for what he's done, a sense of reciprocating some kind of thank you manifest physically, that it's not too long we do that until all of a sudden we hit the wall. And it's like, this isn't fun. This is, a, this is hard. How are we supposed to do this? Well, that's where we come to understand we need the breath of God. Receive the Holy Spirit. Whenever we try to respond to the gospel in our own energies, in our own abilities, and we try to somehow uh, balance the thanksgiving scale of, you know, Jesus has forgiven me of all my sins, so what would, what would be something that would counter, you know, that would help bring that? Oh, yeah, the nursery would probably be the closest thing for some of us. <laughs> Others it might be teaching the three and four-year-olds. I, I don't know. Some might be teaching the teenagers. Uh, some might be teaching the senior citizens. Don't know. But we try. In our own strength, I don't care what it is that we endeavor to do, we will run out of gas. Because the whole thing of the kingdom is not to be ran on your energy and your strength. Just as Jesus inaugurates this commission to his brothers... He commissions us, receive the Holy Spirit, and he blew on them. Have you been around any kind of meetings where, you know, they're re releasing the Holy Spirit and they get right in your face and they go, <gasps> have, you done, have you seen that? Who's seen that? Has anybody seen that? I'm not the only oh, one. Geez. And it's like, oh my stars, 
you're going to minister the Holy Spirit, don't eat Italian garlic before, please. I don't know if that was the Holy Ghost or what, but something almost knocked me out. And uh, got to watch that. But Jesus blew on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then he sends them to preach the forgiveness of sins with the real understanding that this is a delegated authority. I am sending you with my authority that I have on heaven and earth. And I'm giving you this commission to go and preach the forgiveness of sins. And when you preach the forgiveness of sins, guess what? The people's sins will be forgiven. How do people get their sins forgiven? Hmm. How can they repent if there's no one to... You, you repent by hearing the word of God. And how will they know if no one goes? If no one is speaking his word to people, how will they know that their sins are forgiven? Wow. Now, I've been in a lot of churches where this is like a number one guilt trip to put on the body. You dirty, rotten people, get out there and preach the gospel and make sure everybody knows that they're a sinner. Uh, no, I don't think that's how Jesus was looking at this. The, the emphasis and the onus kind of is on his brothers. And he's saying, if you don't go and proclaim, how are they going to repent? repent go and preach forgiveness of sins. Because I want to forgive them of their sins. And when they hear it, my spirit on you will have such a dynamic that when they hear the good news, their hearts will repent. Whoa. And their sins will be forgiven. Dynamite. Isn't that the way it works? Yeah. How many times have you gone to someone and you've invited them to receive the good news that Jesus died for their sins, to forgive them of their sins, and you get a negative response. How is it that the enemy has deceived us into thinking that if we get that up close and personal and we get right to the nitty gritty and we share the good news of Jesus's death and resurrection and ascension is so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Usually we think, oh no, if I say that, I will offend them. Oh, I can't do that. I'd be embarrassed. If I said that, oh, that would be so embarrassing. What if they say no? You know, we, we, we got the one that is so fearful of, of rejection and needs to be accepted that they won't even invite them to repent. It's a glorious invitation. It's not a negative religious kind of thing where you're gonna beat them up with the gospel. 
but it's an invitation, it's inviting, it's so wonderful. But most of us don't do it because we're, we've been deceived. We've been deceived to the point that we think everybody is hostile toward Christianity. The world is hostile toward Christianity. Enemy owns that, but not people. Not the people that God created in this image, male and female. It's amazing that when you get one-on-one, -on -one, I can't hardly think of a time that anyone has not responded to the gospel. And yet somehow the fear into me is the next time I do it, it might not go so well. So I better not. And we get paralyzed. The Holy Spirit is what makes all the difference in the proclamation of the good news of the forgiveness of sins. It's the Holy Spirit. Yay. If you just do it and partner with him, he'll do the rest. He actually will. It'll be amazing. And if they're real hard-hearted, who knows, he might do a miracle just to flip their world upside down to just really see how much the love of God is tangible and manifested. So as I look at this, I realize that there is a responsibility to the brothers, to the brothers and sisters, in the message that Jesus spoke through Mary to them and that he spoke directly to them. We gotta know who our God is and who our Father is. Once we're secure in our identity of who our Father and who our God is, then we know who we are. And as the Holy Spirit is breathed upon us and we choose to obey, to simply follow the directions that he gives us and we share the good news of God's provision for the forgiveness of our sins. Wow. Let the holy glory party begin. So today, if you haven't received Jesus, it's a great day to receive Jesus. Jesus has triumphed over sin, over death. <laughs> he has made it so that the weight and the guilt and the condemnation that this world and the evil one and the kingdom of darkness tries to paralyze us in fear and anxiety and depression comes against us. Jesus has conquered. <laughs> For those that have done that, you're sent ones. You are commissioned in the name of Jesus to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of the forgiveness of sins to everyone, to everyone around. And for that to happen, you need the Holy Spirit. Right. You absolutely need the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done evangelism without the Holy Spirit? Oh man, that's how I was trained. Hadn't even had my encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in me and was functioning, but I didn't realize it. And I was trained in all these methodologies of presenting the gospel. And I was so unsuccessful. And, but when I did get a success, man, I gave all the praise and glory to me. I was just so taken with myself how slick of a salesman I am for Jesus, because I just got somebody to sign up 
Oh, wow, that was cool. I got a notch on my belt, another notch on my gun. I'm ready. And it's like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You can have a lot of tools, nothing wrong with tools, but it's the Holy Spirit that gets the glory because he gives it right back to Jesus, who gives it right back to the Father. And they just continually bring the glory one to the other. Mm. So if you haven't received the Holy Spirit today, it'd be a great day to receive the Holy Spirit. We'll breathe on you. <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I'm amazed by the scripture that John just looked into the empty tomb and saw the garments, saw the cloth, and he believed. Mary, because of her sorrow, was so great, it wasn't until she heard her name proclaimed that she believed. The disciples, they saw, and they were still afraid and didn't know. They needed the Holy Spirit to be breathed upon them before they fully believed to the point that they could fulfill the calling that God had for them. It's necessary that we receive the Holy Spirit. Anybody want more of the Holy Spirit? Mm. I love that passage in Colossians where it says he delights in filling everything to fullness in every way. So let's just present ourselves to the Lord this morning. Whether you need to know him and be forgiven of your sins, we'll start there. Lord, we just present ourselves and we say, Father, we don't wanna be entangled with sin. If we've never believed, we come to the place of realizing that all the guilt and shame and condemnation that we live under has, has been wonderfully, wonderfully, mercifully dealt with through the love of Jesus and his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, his wonderful ascension. And I confess my sins and I wanna be free from my sins. Come and do for me what I can't do for myself. I've tried the exchange and I can't do things well enough, good enough, holy enough to ever counteract the weight of my sin. But Jesus, you have because you're the holiest of holies. The blood that you sacrifice is the supreme blood, superior to every other blood and has atoned, has, has forgiven my sin. And so I receive you, come in take up residence, be my savior, my Lord. Father, where we have patterns of sin that we can't get out of, we just come and confess. We don't hide those, we bring them right to you. We say, Lord, where we keep gossiping, where we keep making the same blunders, where we haven't grown, we still are and sibling rivalry, we haven't matured, and we know we're not where we're supposed to be in our journey with you. We just ask, Father, for your grace, your forgiveness, 
and that you would show us what's at the root of the things that keep us stunted in our development so that we can truly surrender those things to you and move into more freedom and more life, move into a greater intimacy with you. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to release light and love and mercy, grace and glory inside us. Anoint our ears that we would hear, anoint our eyes that we would see, anoint our nose that we would discern and we would smell the wonderful fragrance of your presence. Anoint our lips that we might kiss the sun. Anoint our tongue that we would utter your mysteries, that we would speak prophetically, that we would speak your word, that we would teach and that we would prophesy. Anoint our hands that we would touch and bring healing. Anoint our feet that we would go they would be blessed feet, that they would be beautiful feet because they are the feet that carries the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Anoint our hearts, Lord. Increase our capacity. Take the little bitty Grinch heart and magnify it until it's one with your heart. Develop our hearts. Increase our breathing capacity, Lord. Anoint our lungs that we could breathe in the fullness of your breath. Mm. And give us what you've already attained for us. The mind of Christ. We want to think your thoughts. We want to think the way you think. We want to receive the anointing <clears throat> mind of Jesus. And so deliver us from patterns. Deliver us from sins that that entangle us. Anoint us for destiny. Anoint us for purpose, for mission. Anoint us for the sake of the fullness that you want for us to experience and anoint us for the fullness that you want others to experience you through us. And so we just present ourselves as living sacrifices today, made holy and acceptable by Jesus, his shed blood, his glorious, powerful resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. We give you praise for you are our Father, you are our God. And we say thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. What a glorious day. Show enough. Thank you for a glorious day to give us a glorious message of the glorious hope that we have in you. Now let your peace rest upon each one. I pray that as we Gather around the tables, Lord, that you would be with us and that you would bring the kind of fellowship and intimacy that you have for us. Right. Worship team. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's worship him. Let's give him thanks for what he's done 
in us today, what he's done for us, but what he wants to do through us as well. Let's not forget everything that he wants to do through us. Let's take the call to proclaim and to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins seriously and see what God does. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.